It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hello Kay, hello everyone. Today we're going to be discussing the latest development in gas fracking, hydraulic fracturing in the Northern Territory with Mark Ogg, who's the Principal Advisor at the Australian Institute. The Northern Territory Government currently has a moratorium on fracking, but commissioned a scientific inquiry, which has just reported. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. No worries, Kay. Great to be with you. Now, Mark, firstly, can you tell us about hydraulic fracturing, which is known as fracking? It's been around for a while and many people are familiar with it, but for the listeners that aren't, can you clear that up? Could you just describe it to us? Sure. Oil is actually in the is actually held within the pores within rock underground. There's different ways to kind of classify different reserves of oil, and conventional oil, uh, oil or gas. Sorry, the conventional oil or gas that you get off, say, Bass Strait, is tends to be in large reservoirs, so it's kind of all in one place, and it's under pressure and it. It's easier to extract. You basically need one well to get quite a lot of oil or gas out. And I say oil or gas because oil and gas are usually... You usually get some oil and some gas out of most oil and gas reservoirs. So the reason we have fracking is that a lot of those reservoirs of conventional gas have been used up and they're being used up quite rapidly. And... The gas industry is desperate to increase its reserves, so it's ne- it, it then started looking at the much bit more difficult to get at stuff that's usually on land. So it's kind of the shale gas and oil is like kind of the dregs of oil and gas. So it's really dispersed and it's very deep and it's very difficult to get. So what they have to do, and but they, they're trying to get that because they're running out of the, the conventional easy-to-get stuff. So what they have to do is drill really, really deep. Um, often it, you know, it can be down to about three kilometres, which is a which is a really difficult thing to do. So they drill down, and then the then the difficulty for them is is that the oil and gas is trapped in the in the shale rock, you know, at those depths. And to get it out, they actually have to fracture the rock so that it allows the gas or oil to move through the fractures and come up the well that they've drilled. Mm-hmm. So in order to actually frack it, they have to pour a huge amount of water and sand mixed with a whole lot of chemicals, and we're talking you know, multiple truckloads of chemicals, and they push that down at really, really high pressure so that it actually um, fractures the rock and you, get, and you get all these cracks running through the shale and that enables the gas and oil to move through the through the fractures, if you like, 
and then the pressure then pushes it up through the well and it comes to the surface and then they're able to take that gas and pipe it off either to a processing plant or uh, which can go to consumers and power stations in Australia or it can be turned into a liquid and exported overseas on those big sort of round tankers that you see, the the LNG, liquefied natural gas tankers. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very expensive type of project and also the Northern Territory is fairly big and I think there are multiple areas right around the Northern Territory that they're looking at fracking. Yeah, well, they've actually got... the, The previous government actually handed out oil and gas licences over 85% of the Northern Territory, which is staggering when you think wow. of it. 85% of the Northern Territory is covered in oil and gas ex- exploration licences at this stage, which they hope to turn into production licences. And there's three big areas with a lot of gas and potentially some oil as well, uh, the Beedaloo Basin, the MacArthur Basin and the Georgina Basin. Mark, just before we leave that the fracking technology... Can I clarify a simple question? Is the same well used for the high-pressure injection and the extraction, or do you pressurise one and pull it out another hole? It's the same well. Okay. And there's also coal seam fracking. We're not talking about that in this case, are we? No, no. Coal coal seam gas is much closer to the surface, and it's 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 in coal as distinct from shale. So there's... There's a, there's a number of differences, and including that coal seam gas is mixed in with water. So for coal seam gas, they actually have to extract vast amounts of water to get the gas out as well, whereas, whereas shale gas is much, much deeper and under much higher pressures, but you don't have those huge amounts of water. But you do have to, you, you do have to pump down a lot of water to create the pressure to get it out. Okay, and in the Northern Territory case, we're talking about depths of three to four kilometres. Is that correct? I think it's about that. It's pretty, it's it's very deep. I mean, it varies, but it's, it is very deep. It is deep. And how many exploratory wells would you have to drill to find a good one? That's a good question. I'm not sure. They t- they often have, you know, up to about fifty or sixty exploratory wells, but wells drilled in the exploration phase before they go into full production. But it could be it could be less. But the the main point is that per, the exploration. It often sounds like it's just a very preliminary stage, but it can often have a, a big impact because it has just lots and lots of, you know, a lot of wells and a lot of fracking to go with those wells. I mean, you've got to remember that every every well needs to be fracked with shale gas and often multiple times. Even in the exploratory stage? Yes. And then it has to be sealed when it's finished? It has to be sealed when it's finished, yes. Yeah. So we've heard around the world of um, lots of doubts about the um, side effects of the, the shale gas, uh, shale fracking. But probably many listeners have seen people lighting their kitchen tap water in the US and things like that. This yep. inquiry has come out with some new codes and practices and then said it'll be safe if th- that happens. Tell us about that. How likely is that to work and will they do it? What sort of changes are they going to make? Well, there's, yeah, the, I haven't got across all, all the changes. I've looked mostly at the greenhouse gas emissions chapter and the and the economics chapter. So there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of chapters on water and air quality and biodiversity and all of those kinds of things. But um, 
I there's a couple of general points I'd make, and the first is that, you know, for instance, with the greenhouse gas chapter, they outline, as an example, they outline some measures that they think should be taken to try and leak less methane into the atmosphere, because gas, shale gas, is methane mm. for the most part, with some other gases in there, but it, it, it's predominantly and, methane. And you should ex- and, explain for our listeners that the. the um challenges with the, the fracking industry and the, the amount of leakage and the consequences of that? Yeah, so methane is incredibly powerful greenhouse warming gas. So, so the idea is to bring up the methane and burn it for combustion. But on the way, methane leaks into the atmosphere because, you know, it leaks in the, the drilling phase, it leaks in the, you know, in the pipeline phase. In the around, the, around the wellheads? Yeah, around the wellheads in the processing plants, in the water treatment plants, you know, all along the way it leaks and there's no avoiding that. It always happens. Everybody acknowledges that happens. And a little bit of leakage has a huge greenhouse gas effect. So just tonne for tonne, so equivalent weights over a 20-year, because methane breaks down in the atmosphere mm. into CO2 over time, so it has a stronger impact in the shorter term. So over a 20-year period, it's about a bit over 100 times more greenhouse warming impact than CO2, and over a mm. okay. over a hundred year period, sorry, it has it's to have about a 30, 36 times okay. warming impact of CO2. I'd, I'd heard so, eighty six times on on the twenty year horizon, but what eighty six or hundred? Either way, it's catastrophic, isn't it? Yeah, and and of course the the short term effect is the critical one because we have time to address the longer term one, but anything that accelerates our warming in the rapidly in the short term just gives us so much less time to change around, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and you could view it positively in that here's an opportunity to actually have a big impact on reducing greenhouse gases, you know, fairly quickly by just not doing this stuff. Or you could view it negatively as, you know, if we keep doing it, um, it's going to have a, you know, it's really making the whole climate situation a lot worse. And for listeners um, that are interested in this, we did a... A, in, an interview with Tim Forsey in 2017 with regard to methane, fugitive methane gas emissions. So there's more information there if you go to the podcast. So, so Mark, you work for the Australian Institute and the, and the Australian Institute put in a submission, uh, which I understand you were heavily involved in, to the inquiry, challenging the inquiry risk of their, in quotes, their quotes being of low consequence and acceptable risk. Can you explain that in more detail, please? So what the what the inquiry did is they said, well, they thought we'll consider a number of annual production scenarios. So how much gas would be produced every year if they lifted the gas moratorium? And the scenario, they have ended up settling on two scenarios. And one is that every year, if the moratorium's lifted, the gas fields will produce 365 petajoules a year. And a petajoule is just a measure of gas. And the second one is that it would produce 1,240 petajoules a year. So it's two scenarios of the amount of gas that would be produced. And in the first case, the 365 petajoule a year scenario, on the calculations of the inquiry, which uses an assumption of a fairly small amount of methane leakage, that that would, that would produce 26.5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent now, that's equivalent to 5% of Australia's annual emissions. So one gas field, they're mm-hmm. saying one shale gas field in the Northern Territory 
would produce around, would increase Australia's emissions by five percent, and the second scenario mm. would produce the equivalent of about eighteen percent of Australia's annual emissions every year. Not all of that would be counted in Australia because a lot of it's burned overseas. But of course, the atmosphere doesn't care where no, it's burned. It still right. has the same greenhouse gas implications. Now, but, in both but cases, our government discounts it if it's if it's um, t- sent off overseas, don't they? not accounted for here, so they, they basically try and ignore it. Mm-hmm. But in both cases, what the inquiry said is they said that those rates of leakage are a low consequence because it's a small amount of total global warming. So mm-hmm. we really disagree with that strongly because mm-hmm. to make the comparison between one gas field and all global warming gases in the atmosphere is comparing it to the biggest thing you can possibly think of. Now, a more relevant comparison would be using a carbon budget and figuring out how much carbon we can still emit to stay under 2 degrees or 1.5 degrees, but they didn't do that. They just compared it completely to all carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And if you do that, then basically any project is is fine, right? Because you're just comparing it to something so so big that everything else is small but in fact these are massive emitters and would would have a very significant impact on the environment so and if you say that there's 18 percent from one well one area and what are there six to eight areas that are going to be developed the 18 percent would be a number of gas fields that would be whether you're talking that whether you're talking the five percent of australia's emissions or the 18 percent of australia australia's emissions that is a huge amount of emissions Mm -hmm. and The inquiry doesn't acknowledge that. And we actually did polling last night where we asked people from the Northern Territory, did they think that 5% of Australia's emissions was of low consequence or high consequence? And 60% of them said high consequence. Mm. So the, the, the view of the inquiry is not shared mm. by people in Australia or in the Northern Territory where we polled who think actually that 5% is a lot of emissions and they're very concerned about climate change. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Mark Ogg about gas fracking in the Northern Territory. And Mark, on that point that you've just made, it's really odd because they call it a scientific inquiry and yet it doesn't sound like they've been addressing the issues scientifically. Well, it's it's really interesting, isn't it, that we had 30 of, the, of Australia's leading scientists and, and health experts, including five of our, actually seven of our top climate scientists in Australia and Nobel Laureate and Australian of the Year signing an open letter saying fracking in the Northern Territory should not go ahead under any circumstances. And these are really the the highest echelons of the scientific and medical community in Australia completely disagreeing with the Northern Territory fracking inquiry. Can you put into perspective um, what these emissions are going to be like, say, compared to the Adani coal mine area? Well... It's difficult to compare just for the reason that the figures we have on Adani's emissions are the production emissions, if you like, once the mine's running, how how many... Because we know it's a 60 million tonne a year mine, we know we can work out what the emissions when you burn those 60 million tonnes of coal, whereas we don't know how many gas fields there'll be at this stage. But what, what I can say is that the resource itself is is massive. It's one of the biggest carbon... It's up there amongst the bigger 
carbon deposits in the world, mm. and it's one of the ones closest to... Carbon bombs is the word you're looking for. Carbon, <laughs> carbon bombs, yeah. Would A be, ticking carbon would be bomb. Thing to say. And um, if, you, if you ended up burning all of it, and particularly if there was... Or, or, you know, a large proportion of it, which is absolutely conceivable if it's allowed to get going, mm. particularly if you had, you know, a lot of methane leakage, it could, it, it could easily be billions of tonnes of carbon emissions. Mm. So very, very carbon equivalent, yeah. Mm. Yeah, very, very, yeah, well, carbon dioxide equivalent. So that's yeah. Yeah. Um, methane and um, carbon dioxide. And so it's a very, very uh, large and dangerous potential source of uh, global warming. Mark, the report has 136 recommendations and it said it was critical that each one be implemented in full. We've read some of the report and Gay's spent quite a bit of time on it. It's over a thousand pages and incredibly detailed. Can the government uh, be relied upon to implement every recommendation given that it would be very costly? No, this is, this is a huge problem. The likelihood of the government implementing those recommendations and then the gas industry also implementing them and then for it to be enforced seems really low, particularly when you look at the international experience. I mean, there, there's always huge problems with the, uh, the lack of regulation and that regulation that there is is, you know, often very weak and poorly enforced and virtually no monitoring. Mm. So... You know, that's the experience all over the world. So it seems really unlikely to me that it would be any different in the Northern Territory, you know, particularly because the gas in the Northern Territory is expensive, so it won't be as profitable as it is in other areas because it's so deep and so remote. And so these companies will struggle more and they'll have even more incentive to cut corners on regulation Mm. and all of that kind of thing. Good good point. Um, and, and the fact that it's so far away from anywhere, you know, it just gives them huge scope to to just not report stuff, not monitor stuff, cut corners on uh, safety precautions and all of those kinds of things. So it's very, very, very worrying. And, and it's, you know, it would be ridiculous to lift the moratorium on the assumption that all of those things would be done, in my view. Well, they use CSIRO uh, information extensively throughout the report, from what I understand, and... They, CSIRO concluded that the potential for serious post-decommissioning integrity issues is low, but the panel itself found that there's very little information available worldwide on the decommissioning performance of shale gas wells. So does that mean that CSIRO isn't aware of that? Or Look, the problem with the CSIRO is that the CSIRO uh, research on gas is undertaken by a, an organisation called Jazeera, which is the Gas Industry Social and Economic Research Alliance. And that part of the CSIRO is, well, not entirely, but almost entirely funded by the gas industry. So they, they call it an alliance. So it's, uh, it's, it's like the five biggest gas companies, APLNG, QGC, Santos, AGL, and I think one other, and they've all put in millions of dollars, and then they have CSIR researchers. But for the most part, all of that research is funded by the gas industry, and there are gas industry executives on all the research committees of Jazeera. There's a clear conflict of interest when gas industry executives are, are involved in actually you know, scoping and directing the research, and the researchers essentially are being paid by Jazeera. 
So we've got major concerns about the independence and the con- of the CSIRO in, in this capacity. Yeah, and on the point that you made earlier, the panel found that there was significant potential for accidental releases, leaks, spills of chemicals and fluids, and we haven't even mm. talked about the, the chemicals there, in the flowback and produced water. So given that the panel itself is saying that and yet suggests going ahead if they cover the 136 or 135 recommendations, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? It is. And, and like those recommendations, you know, I was, I was pointing out before that, there, that there's big questions about enforcement and, and monitoring and all of those kinds of things. But also a lot of the time in the uh, recommendations aren't actually sufficient in, them, in, in themselves. So, mm. for instance... The, in the greenhouse gas section, which I've looked at much more closely than other sections, their mitigation measures only are aimed only at reducing some of the methane leakage, you know, and they don't have anything about reducing the combustion emissions, and the combustion emissions are more than likely the, the biggest part of the problem. Mm. So the recommendations to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions you know, they might reduce the emissions a little bit if they were properly enforced, but that's all they have the ambition of doing, just reducing the overall emissions a bit. So what other things did you find about the report? The other chapter is, of course, the economics. So mm. the report actually, they they got some economic modelling done and um, it was actually amazing how few jobs and how little government revenue would be expected to come from from um, fracking in the Northern Territory. And government revenue and, and jobs are obviously the, the key argument or probably the only argument really for it going ahead. So even in the most optimistic scenario that they did their economic modelling on, there would be 524 additional jobs in the Northern Territory, which is equivalent to about, on average, over the life of the project which is equivalent to about 0.3% of the Northern Territory workforce. So that's the most optimistic scenario, which the modelling found was a very low likelihood of actually happening. The most likely production scenario that the inquiry covered found that there would be five additional jobs in the Northern Territory. Mm. Mm. So five additional Mm. jobs is the most likely outcome. Mm. Yeah, That's so crazy when you think that if you put all that money that you know needs to go in terms of compliance and also just the extraction of, of the gas, if you took all that money and started producing renewable energy strategies up north, it would be far more cost effective and far, have many more people employed, I would imagine. That's absolutely the direction the world's going in. You know, what you've got to remember with shale gas is shale gas is the dregs of the gas. It's the hardest stuff to get to. It's the deepest. It's the most expensive. They're only going for it because all the other stuff is becoming much harder to, harder to find. So it's a kind of a desperate ploy to extract it and get it out of the ground and sell it before it loses its value as the world moves off gas. So it's a kind of a last gasp scenario. And in the meantime, the gas is getting more expensive all the time. In the meantime, renewables are getting um, cheaper and cheaper. So you've got to sort of view this in the con- context of a sort of a, you know, a desperate last gasp of an industry that wants to exploit their resources while they still have a value. And people get renewables is the um, way of the future. And the other day we did polling 
and found that, you know, when people were asked whether the government should focus on fracking and the gas industry or renewables, I think it was 69% of people said they'd prefer the government focused on renewables. The recently elected Western Australian Labor government banned gas fracking when they came to power, which uh, we regard as commendable. Um, so did the, the current Victorian government. New analysis by the um, climate by Climate Analytics has found the domestic carbon pollution from the full exploitation of all of Western Australia's gas resources would be 4.4 times higher than what Australia's entire energy system can emit to comply with Paris Agreement, our entire energy emissions. Uh, that's the first time that carbon pollution released during the life cycle of, of current and prospective gas developments in Western Australia, including conventional and conventional resources, has been comprehensively assessed. Why has this assessment not been done before? Oh, very good question. I, you know, I, I really don't know. There's so many, um, you know, Queensland, for instance, the lack of, um, the, the lack of, you know, they, they did no baseline studies in Queensland. Mm. They let the whole thing go ahead without any baseline studies at all, which is just absolutely scandalous. Mm. And they did very little analysis on the greenhouse um, gas implications. It was pushed through yeah. uh, in unseemly haste. The the lack of, the, you know, the, the um, deliberate really avoiding looking at the impacts of this industry have been disastrous. And not just on the environment, I've got to say, opening, Queensland being opened up to um, global gas exports caused the gas price in Australia to triple mm. and has been, and has absolutely, which has absolutely um, hammered uh, our manufacturing industry. So, and, and Australian consumers ultimately pay mm. for that. Because, yeah, we know that. You know, we all use gas as well. So even on... So so there's been... There was a complete... La- you know, th- that wasn't mentioned in the, um, in the uh, environmental impact assessments where they, should have, where they should have looked at it in detail in Queensland before it was all approved. OK, thanks, Mark. Well, thanks again, Mark, for your time today. It's been very informative. And no listeners can find out more about this from the Northern Territory fracking site, I think. Frackinginquiry.nt.gov.au. Fracking inquiry is one word with an I inquiry, not E inquiry. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.